0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Views on View. This week on our panel, we have Chris Fritz. Hello, hello. Divya Sassidaran. Hello. I, I need to put your uh, in, infos in there. Sorry, I did that wrong. You want
1: me to just do it again? It's OK, I'll do it real quick. I am a member of the Vue.js core team. And Divya, correct me if I'm wrong, I, if I remember correctly, I think it's Vue contributor, DevRel at Netlify. And I, I feel like there was something else.
2: I think that's good.
0: All around nice
1: person.
2: Yay. There you go.
0: So, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and dive in here real quick. Uh, We have a special guest this week. I guess I didn't introduce myself. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And we have a special guest, and that's uh, Dobromir Christoph. (laughs) Hi. I I
3: know I did that wrong. You want to say your name for us? Uh, Yeah. So my name is Dobromir Christoph, or you can just call me Dobry because it's Charlie. Uh, I'm a... Front developer, I'm living in Bulgaria. I'm a full time full-time view developer at a Danish company called HypeFactors.
0: Hey folks, I just want to let you know quickly about Netlify. Netlify is a really cool system for hosting what are traditionally known as static sites. However, the real benefit that I've been finding is that I don't have to mess with a back end. I can just set things up. I build the website out. I've been using a system called Eleventy.js, and you just deploy it. And then anything that you have that you want to do, you can do on the front end. So if you want to pull in some kind of database with Firebase or something else, if you want to collect form data, Netlify provides all kinds of services that make it easy to do all that stuff. If you're trying to do serverless, they have a really, really neat serverless setup that will allow you to deploy your websites without having to deploy a backend, and it'll do some of the work for you. I just, I just love it. So, if you're looking for a way that you can actually deploy a website that only has front end technology in it, gives you all the tools that you typically need for the back end without having to actually program the back end, then give them a try. Go check them out at netlify.com. It seems like I wind up talking to a lot of people from Bulgaria these days. Is the really? tech scene out there just booming or? Uh, both. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think there's also like a bunch of people who work at Progress who are in Bulgaria.
3: Exactly.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Progress is also a sponsor of this show. Just put, putting that out there. Yeah. Very cool. So um, we brought you on to talk about this uh, view Beginners Workshop that you put together. And do you want to just kind of give us a, a quick rundown as far as like how it came about and what you were hoping to accomplish and all of that stuff?
3: Yeah, sure. So uh, essentially how it all started was on the second meetup uh, of uh, the View Bulgaria group. I met with some of the organizers. Uh, We were talking back and forth and we really wanted to expand the the VIEW community in Bulgaria. So we started dreaming big, but, uh, you know, I know comps and everything was just not the right moment. At one point, a few months ago, I decided it was about time we try to do something a bit bigger than a meetup. So I offered to do a workshop. It was uh, mostly for beginners. So we could just, you know, expand the community. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I I offered, they really got hyped about it. We immediately found uh, a nice, uh, you know, uh, company to give us a place to host and everything. So yeah, we started working on it. First, I'm kind of curious, like for people who are also
1: using Vue and might want to, you know, help other people learn the things that they know, like how much do you need to know to give a workshop? And th- this was a, a beginner's workshop, right? So yeah. people are completely new to Vue.
3: That's a, that's a good question. Um, I don't consider myself like a pro, I guess, uh, even though I've been using Vue for the past almost three years. And, and uh, you get paid
1: to use Vue. I mean, you are technically a professional.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, like I, I've been using Vue full time, daily, every day for the past almost two years. But, uh, yeah, I, I've read actually a lot of uh, books and materials about Vue even before I actually began using it uh, professionally because I was very excited about it. I've had a few, a few teammates who have, I've, you know, uh, taught and showed and I just decided it was about time. I actually very, very much enjoy uh, teaching and showing people what I, what I know. So, yeah. So, so how did you start?
1: Like, once you decided, like, okay, I'm going to give a workshop, Like, did you, how did you come up with a curriculum?
3: So uh, how I started, I started looking through other people's workshops and reading about how you actually, you know, should uh, do a workshop. To be honest, I haven't attended one workshop in my life. Everything was in my head. I was like, uh, I was trying to figure out how to do it. I was looking at Sarah Drasner's workshop. Uh, She had some free stuff on uh, GitHub. I saw something uh from Chris actually from you, Chris Fritz. There's something, uh, some slides.com stuff. Pretty much I was scavenging and looking how people do it. Um, I was also taking notes from View School and View Mastery's beginner uh courses, like see how they you know uh split up topics. So because you know, at some point you just start to see the patterns and how people decide, you know, uh teach, like what are the the most, the first, the first things that they show. So I went from there. I was constantly asking my uh, fellow uh, team members from the View Bulgaria group uh, for advice. So as I was writing uh, the curriculum, as I was uh, writing out how we would do the whole thing, they were constantly looking at my notes, uh, giving me feedback. And yeah, we just picked up a nice... uh, project that people would enjoy writing uh doing um and yeah we just started from there adding piece by piece it was supposed to be something super small so they could do it in a matter of like two three hours yet it was uh, it, it had to be interesting enough so it's not like a simple blame to do app that everyone's been doing
1: yeah you, you want them to walk away feeling like they can actually build things right
3: exactly and the topic was actually pretty cool it was a a map of Game of Thrones, uh, a full screen map, with um, each of the major houses uh, spread out across the whole map. So as people were you know do, doing a V force and whatever, they were uh, seeing how things are starting to pop up on, on the map. And the cool thing was there was they didn't have to write a single one of CSS, so everything was pre written. So that uh, was taken in pretty well uh, because you know after each step they just had something new, something interesting. Uh, they were just excited to go through the next mm-hmm. step. So it sounds like, to
1: reiterate, uh, you looked at a bunch of different resources to see like, how different like, organizations and like, different workshops were structured and like, how explanations were structured to see like, what, what other people were doing and what was effective. And you could kind of look at like, okay, what, what do I like from those? Uh, you know, what do I not like? What, where do I think I can improve a little bit?
3: yeah exactly
1: and then and then in building some of your like designing some of your projects you try to come up with something like really fun like something that wouldn't just be like another to-do app like you said
3: yeah exactly because I, I've, I've done courses uh, from other people and when the the project is interesting when you're actually building something that is pretty cool you do it with with joy uh that's actually what uh, some of the uh, you know we send out a feedback form later and uh, people were giving super positive feedback. They said that the topic was very cool. They were actually pretty excited. We, we even saw people trying to break the whole map, you know, starting to squish it and <laughs> make it, you know, overflow and everything. So uh, yeah, people were actually pretty interested.
1: That's cool. One of my tips too, when I am uh, teaching a course in designing projects is I want every project to be something that the people who are learning and, and building it Will want to show someone that they care about afterwards. Like yeah. that's that's one of my main criteria. And if they if they don't want it to show want it, want to show it to someone they care about, then it's probably not a good project. Like they're not going to really be motivated, and they're probably not going to want to show someone a to do list because, like, okay, yeah, they've seen a bunch of to do lists before.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, I think if a project is also interesting and resonates with the audience, like for instance, if you were to create like. Like a map or whatever, it's like relevant to whoever is in a specific place. So you're like, oh, this is a map of this place. Or it's something that is different from a to do app, but interesting. And so the problem itself doesn't, like, people's eyes don't glaze over as they're working on it. They're like, oh, okay, I really want to work on this because it's an interesting problem. And there's like different ideas for designing and building different things. And then after the workshop, ideally, You'll have people come up to you being like, Oh, I want to build this on top of what you already showed me because I know how to do the thing now.
1: Yeah. Is- yeah. And then it sounds like another tip that you used is you provided like scaffolding for the things that that weren't necessarily something that would help people learn, uh, but would help the app like look good and, oh, and mean the styling distracting. So like adding adding the CSS for them. You know, so that they wouldn't have to worry about that initially. Yeah, exactly. Uh just focus on, like, getting the app to work.
3: Yeah, yeah, because I, I realize not everyone is, just like, a CSS guru. Like, imagine some of them uh, were just, you know, battling some uh, V4 or some view specific thing. And then they have on their mind that they have to, like, write 10 or 20 or 50 lines of CSS. Like, they would go nuts. Uh, I mean, not everyone likes writing CSS. I had a lot of backend people there. So <laughs> you could imagine what would happen if they had to write styling as well.
1: Yeah, so you're, you're lowering the, the bar for like what people need to know in order to start learning.
3: Yeah, uh, so my idea was when I was, when I was actually, you know, um, talking over with uh, Elena and Ned and Chris, which are my fellow team, team members, we were talking how we can make this like for whom should we make it. And the idea was this is for people who have little to no JavaScript and little, like absolutely little to no view experience. So most of the people that came uh, were just barely going into the whole front-end uh, fiasco, but still had just enough to uh, make like a two, three-page, uh, multi-page URL router uh, website. So,
0: yeah. So wh- where did you wind up holding it? and And what kind of a setup did you have for it?
3: So... The workshop was held at uh, the office of uh, Dopamine, which is a very cool um, company that uses Vue for their projects. One of their um, employees, uh, Chris, he works, uh, he's with us in the in in the Vue Bulgaria team. So the setup itself, we used four, I think, sixty-five inch TVs. Uh, They were all uh, cloning uh, my uh, my uh, computer. And we were using slides.com for the, for the deck, for the slide deck. And I have to give a shout out to, to like that service. It's, it's awesome. Like doing slides there is such a breeze. We, we use their live present mode, which allowed me to essentially just uh, have my uh, slides on, on, on my uh, tablet. So I was just swiping and changing the slides on all four monitors at the same time. Um, everyone was uh, seeing it in sync. Uh, you know, I, I could see my notes. It was pretty cool. As for the examples themselves, uh, everything is actually free on GitHub. Uh, everyone can check it out. I, I split each chapter because the, the workshop itself was split in seven chapters. So we had seven folders for each chapter. We had the solution. So if anyone was you know uh, very deep in the mud, they could check out the solution. Uh, we also had the base from which they could start if they just couldn't uh, couldn't do it from the previous step. But essentially, once you start, the idea was you start from step one and you just progressively build with each step. You don't even have to exit that file, and uh, until you get to the CLI, it was everything was in a one one file.
1: That's cool. awesome. And, and Divya, uh, I am actually curious to hear from you as well because you've you've uh, you know helped lead workshops before and. Like, you're leading your own workshop for the first time uh, in March, I believe, at, at ViewConf US. Yes. So I, I, I'm kind of curious, like, th- the same kinds of questions, um, you know, that we had for, for Dobromir. Like, how did you decide to do a workshop? And, like what, like, what does that
2: process look like so far? I think, like, the way that Dobromir was mentioning, just, like, the idea that it popped up in his head. <laughs> I was like, that's how it happened with me, too. Because I'm like, oh, and I think, I think partially it's that, but also I gave like a lightning talk on the thing that I want to give a workshop on. And I've given a, a lot of talks at this point. And I find that talks are really great for short, like concise, to go through a, a, a concept in a concise way. But if you want to dive into the details, it requires like a lot of thought And like you want to show more code, but usually during a talk, people have very short attention spans because like you're not the only talk, obviously there's lots of others. And so I feel like talks are great for just like introducing new ideas and making people interested in learning something. And a workshop is really great to dive deep. And for me, I'm starting to kind of find that more appealing because then you can actually geek out with other people and talk about things that are really like in depth and share knowledge that way, because there's like value in giving a talk, but there's like, you can really take a talk and then deepen it using a workshop. And I value that as well. So that's like yeah. kind of my motivation. Yeah.
1: Yeah. in a talk, I, I often don't get to go into some of the details that I'm most excited about, because it's just like, it's,
2: it's too nitty gritty. Oh, definitely. And, and I've seen situations where I have gone through like a lot of code, because like one of the talks I gave and you, you've given a similar talk about like talking about canvas and WebGL. And when you go into detail on that, like like people's eyes just glaze over completely because there's no way you can explain everything. You'd be like, don't worry about it. Just like understand the main overarching concept. Um, but for an audience member, they're like, okay, I really want to take the time to digest this. The chance of them going back after the conference to go through your talk and slides is very low. And so a conference, uh, a, like a workshop is a perfect avenue for that because it's still a block of time, like dedicated, and you can go really in depth with like explaining and fleshing that out. And people can ask you questions too. So you can really dive deep.
1: Yeah. So similar for like, for you, did you also like go around and like look at how like topics were were covered? And, and like, how did you decide, you know, to to talk about a specific topic? like. Instead of an intro workshop, uh, you're giving one on Vue CLI, I believe, right?
2: Yeah, I'm doing one on on building Vue CLI plugins. And I think for me, like different from like what Dobramir was saying, I've been to workshops and I've helped like PA workshops or co-lead workshops. So I, I understand the general style and I see different formats. So some people have a way, like Chris, your format of doing a workshop is that you introduce a concept. And then you have like an exercise portion where people like take that concept and apply it into an actual project. It's like very specific to your kind of way of doing a workshop. Because I've seen workshops that are more follow along. So it's just like, oh, like as I'm doing it, follow along. Or there's no like actual break, The, the way that you do it. So there's different ways to run a workshop. And I think seeing how other people run it gives you ideas yeah, like he was saying he would watch like Sarah Drasner and like various different people do workshops. They give yeah, you ideas. Sarah's a master
1: like, oh. too, so she's a, she's a good one to look at.
2: Yeah, yeah. Because it gives you some just like, oh, okay, I like this style. And then you can make your own style.
1: Yeah, although if you watch one of Sarah, Sarah's workshops on Front End Masters, uh, which she has some, some good workshops on if you want to check them out,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the practice time of the workshop is actually cut out of the video Yes. So you won't see, like, how much time she's spending on that and, like, the kinds of things that she's doing, you know, working with people one-on-one.
2: I think front-end masters generally cuts those out because they try to condense the videos. I yeah, think. it makes sense. Yeah. But, like,
1: if you're if you're learning how to do a workshop, just keep that in mind.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because she does it, like, similar to how you do it, like, chunks of things. So she's like, oh, I'll introduce you to this idea or this animation concept or this, like, design concept. And then she's like... Okay, now that you know this, like let's apply all these things, which I think is really effective because then people just kind of follow along as they do.
1: It's not an accident that there are some similarities between the way that Sarah and I do things. I mean, we both have an education Can background.
2: You, say you, you copy? You're just kidding.
1: <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, no. I, I we both have an. I, I was doing this before I even knew Sarah. Uh, you know, this kind of format. She's been doing it before she knew me, uh, but we both have an education background and. Yeah. It's actually like most effective to help people learn when you can like show them something first, you know, to, so that they can see like how something works, give them a chance to like modify an, an existing example, and then give them a chance to create something from scratch. Uh, and that kind, of, that kind of scaffolding makes it a lot easier for them to, to slowly pick it up. Personally, like I always like to give people like two sets of challenges. Like one set of challenges with a, a project that they're provided that they can build off of, and another set of challenges that they can use on their own projects if they want, because a lot of times if people can actually practice these things in the context of the the projects that they're working on every day, like the the real apps that they're working on, then like they'll they'll get back to their apps you know like after the conference is over or after the workshop is over, and find I actually don't know how to do this in <laughs> my app. <laughs> right. Because like, th- this is a little bit different. <laughs> this gives them the chance to run into those issues while they're at the workshop and ask questions. I'm a little curious. Uh,
0: how, how much scaffolding did you do for your workshop, Dobry?
3: Uh, wh- wh- what do you I
0: mean? So you gave them the Game of Thrones project, right? How, how much of that was pre-built for them or you know, ready for them to pick up?
3: Okay, so maybe maybe I should go like uh, through how it uh, you know how how I uh, I build it. Uh, essentially, I was following something between Chris and uh, Sarah's like design. So essentially, I had a like an intro, a fifteen-minute uh, just explaining, boring them to death with some uh, text uh, showing examples, and then uh, I split the. Essentially, ex- examples. The challenges into two. Uh, the first part was where I was building them it for them. So essentially, writing a component, showing them how that component, which is part of the you know the example itself, how to do it. Because I realized if I just you know assume they will uh, understand everything from the previous 15 minutes from the slides, they won't do anything. So while I was coding with them, I actually gave them a foundation for them to actually continue on the second part of the, uh, of the challenge, which is, was uh, for them to build on their own. As for what was pre-built, nothing except the styling and the, um, uh, like a, a simple JSON structure with all the houses and all the members in it. So they could just uh, loop it over and have names of people and the houses and logos of the houses everything else they had to build on their own uh, of course i was constantly between them helping them out and not only me like uh my whole like all of us the four, the four of us from the V Bulgaria team were just helping everyone all the time
1: so what was the ratio for like teachers to students
3: it was 42 people and four mentors okay
1: so about like 1 to 10
3: yeah um good thing is We didn't have to show to that many people. There were like maybe five people that needed more attention. Most of the people that came, uh, like more than half of the people actually were were used to React or Angular at some point. So they picked it up pretty fast. We have a few people who were, let's say, QAs or DevOps guys who didn't have that much of a JavaScript experience. So those were people who needed a bit more of, of a nudge. But yeah, I mean, I think at the end it turned out pretty great. Uh, we didn't have to show that much to people, and one of the major, you know, helping factors of this was that uh, for each chapter we had a very detailed step-by-step guide on how what you should do. So let's say you need to make a, a loop of elements, and then you have a, a few uh, bullet points explaining like you should you should use the V4 syntax that we use from whatever. You know, that sort of stuff. I, a bit more detail. And I actually saw people had split screening between the the markdown file with the, the bullets and, um, and their code. So they were constantly checking and looking. And that very much helped them because I had to rewrite the, those uh, maybe three or four times. Uh, because at the beginning, it was just a simple, you know, five or six bullets, what they need to do in the slide. And I was like, yeah, that's not enough. I need to add more. So I expanded them into multiple slides. But, they are, but then I, I figured out, like, they, they can change the slides. I'm the one that's changing the slides. I will be slowing down everyone now. Because, <laughs> uh, like, someone wants to go. Uh, I saw actually a lot of people that were just, uh, when, when they saw what they need to do, They were just plowing through it uh, until they reached the end, whereas some people were following me step by step uh, without going further. At the end, we decided to go with uh, detailed descriptions and markdown files uh, inside the exercise repo. And that was actually a very good uh, decision.
1: So it sounds like something that worked really well is that you structured the workshop in a way where people can kind of go at their own pace
3: Yeah. Uh, Essentially, once you get to a chapter and you get to the exercises part, they had two options. They could either go with me uh, on on the first part where they, you know, look at me how I write the components. Most of them did. They were uh, watching me do it. After that, uh, most of them were just going on their own whereas the people who are more beginner they were you know kind of awaiting uh, on me to give them instructions uh, you know, they were trying to not uh, rush it so they don't do mistakes
0: that's cool so and what was the breakdown between people who were brand new to view versus experienced
3: so i think more than 50 or 60% of the people had absolutely no view experience whatsoever we had 20% of people who had used it for like almost a year. It was very cool because while people were doing examples, I, I, I was just you know, going through them. And I saw people implementing methods earlier and computed properties. And I was like, wow, you shouldn't be doing this now. And they're like, but yeah, but adding them in the template looks wrong. I was like, that's a very good observation. <laughs> I like it. Someone had you know, read the docs beforehand uh, because I even sent them out an email uh, telling them, yeah, these are the docs. Uh, here's a cheat sheet from View Mastery. You should download it. I, I just wanted to give them a like, head start. And most of them actually followed along uh, a, a week before the, the workshop. So they had some, you know, uh, they didn't come empty handed, which was actually pretty cool. That's cool.
1: What things will you do
3: different next time?
1: And it sounds like one of the things that you might do different that we've heard so far is that Uh, some of the topics, like you went over a a little bit too quickly or in in not enough detail. You know, there were some cases where you expanded like one slide to three slides and and things like that to to break it down a little bit more.
3: Yeah, so things I would do better, uh, first of all, I would fix my mic (laughs) because the one we had was constantly breaking down and people couldn't hear me in the back. Oh, man. Yeah, like that that was... um, yeah, it was just technical details that, you know, people were just getting uh, a bit angry at the at the, at the back. As yeah, I've, for, I've had a
1: lot of workshops where the mic just doesn't work very well.
3: Yeah, yeah but I guess that's a common pain point. Uh, we will address this for, for later, uh, for sure. One of the biggest things I regret is, uh, well, there are two things. First thing is, um, because I was trying to show them, like, uh, you know, how to progressively add view without the whole CLI, that meant that I would introduce the dot view, view files and view components later, uh, almost at the end where I showed them the CLI. Uh, but at the end, people were kind of exhausted. And I, I could see like they were, it was like three hour workshop. And by the end of the three hours, they were just getting exhausted. So I decided to just rush it and show them like uh, f- faster what what view files are, how they work, what the CLI is and at that point I just asked them to just watch and don't code. The amazing thing is even though they were tired, I was such in such a hurry to show them uh, everything, I was using a code sandbox and everything so they could see it live that I started making mistakes and Everyone started pointing out my mistakes. They were like, "That's not how you define this, and you should move this down there." And I was like, "Wow, this is super amazing! Like, all of you people are actually paying attention to my code." I, I, I was, I was super happy. And the second thing that I will definitely do better is directly connect to the first one, which is not giving people enough rest. That was three-hour workshop, and I gave them one 15-minute break in the middle, and that was it. Oh, then wow. I kept going. Like I goofed up and people were super shy like you, you you're in the middle of 40 people and like the guy in front of you who you don't know who is he's just a man uh, just the, the guy that's giving you the speech asks you if you want to break of course not gonna to say you you, you want to break like everyone would think you're lazy or something so uh if people were shy they just didn't say, yeah like it, i asked who wants to break and everyone was just looking I, I could hear cricket so i was like yeah then we continue and at that point, I could feel my team members go, trying to kill me with their eyes. <laughs> I was getting the weird looks and the signs, just stop it, stop it, stop it. I was like, nah, it's fine. People are fine. Uh, but yeah, um, definitely have uh, a, few, a few more um, breaks so people could, you know, take a breather. Other thing, increasing my browser console because while I'm debugging, people want to see what I'm debugging. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'd say for, for non-interactive content, like it's really difficult to get people to pay attention for even 20 minutes uh, and, and keep their attention, even if you're a really engaging speaker.
3: Yeah, um, what we actually saw, I, I couldn't see it because I was in the front and I was explaining. Uh, my team members were in, uh, in the back, you know, uh, looking at you know what people do. We didn't see a single one opening Facebook or anything else except the examples and the slides and their code. Like every single one of them was really head deep into their uh, ideas and trying to figure out their examples, which is, it meant people were very interested in seeing what they, 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 they have to do and what they will achieve. So that was pretty cool. But yeah, as you yeah. said, um, keeping attention after <laughs> after those, so, so much time it's like at, at, at the end it was just uh, it was inevitable yeah, and
1: for stuff like a break, like I, I agree that it'd be good to just like you know, build in more breaks, but it, another tip too is that like you know, like you said, if you ask people like, do you need a break, no one wants to raise their hand, no one wants to <laughs> like, oh, I need a, break. and oh no one else, no one else needs a break, yeah, yeah, exactly. but if you reverse the question. To say, like, you know, raise your hand if you don't need a break, or if you don't want a break. Oh, th- why didn't I think of that? <laughs> and, and the same also works if you're trying to, like, check understanding, you know, so if you've given an explanation, you're not sure it's exactly clear, it can be a great idea to, to ask, like, raise your hand if you, if you feel like you completely understand this.
3: Yeah, because no one... Would. Rather than, like, if you,
1: you know, what people mostly ask is, like, does anybody not get this? Yeah, like right.
3: uh, I did this a few times.
1: <laughs> yeah, if you do that no one wants to raise their hand because no one wants to be the only one who doesn't get it.
3: Yeah, while they were while they, while they were uh, doing the the coding examples, um, I asked a few times like who needs help, and I saw because like we're developers, we try to figure out on 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 our own. Um, I saw people were very hard trying to figure out on their own until you know. Things are really, you know, clogged. So at that point, they started raising their hands. So I I actually reversed the question. How many of you actually did this and how many of you actually made it to here? And that was a bit easier to try to, you know, plow down through people and see who's actually getting, uh, you know, a bit slower so I could help.
2: I've seen some really effective ways of um, like some workshops where they create branches for every step. So if they're like, the the workshop is broken down into like, let's say if it's a three-hour workshop, it's broken down into 30 steps. And then as you're walking through, like every branch is like the updated version. So if someone gets left behind, let's say they have an issue that like none of the mentors can address. So if it's something related to like a a minor error, because sometimes it's like, oh, there's a missing semicolon or whatever, some kind of syntax issue, it can be hard to spot. And it tends to hold people back. And so when there's a branch, you can just be like, okay, just like file this or you can stash it or whatever. And then you can just move to the next branch so that you feel like you can still catch up. And yeah. you can go back and everything. Yeah.
3: I thought about that, but then I thought about people who are insecure with Git.
2: Ah uh, <laughs> yes, yes. That that actually does make the assumption that people know Git. Younger, yeah.
3: Right. That's why I split it into, into folders. Uh, and we had the, the the base and we had a solution so i saw people uh, actually going th- into the solutions and checking out what they're missing so yeah I, I, pe- people just because yeah. you know they're developers they they, uh, they they started figuring out on their own uh so yeah i i, I was very torn between the folders uh and uh, and the branches but essentially we went with the folders it's a bit more work uh but yeah pay, i guess it paid off yeah, yeah. I think
1: West Boss used the same strategy with folders for the same reason, you know, just to make it a little bit more accessible.
3: Yeah, uh, that's actually something I picked up from I think some of some of the, the workshops I was looking because some of them were using branches, some of them were using folders. I think Sarah was using folders. I was just going to
1: say there's there's one other danger with this strategy is that if you're using it for content that builds on top of on top of each other, so like you're. It, conceptually, if you have like concepts where like, okay, you're learning this, and then, you know, we're taking that concept a little bit further in the next example, it can be easy for people to not ask a question and just try to check out, you know, the next branch or move to the next folder uh, without really understanding the code that's there already. And and so then everything that they're learning on top of that, like on top of that foundation is going to be shakier and they could end up, you know, getting more and more behind and just feeling like totally lost. But, you know, you go and look over their shoulder and it's like, oh, like, it looks like you have, you know, you have the latest code, so you must be
3: okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So if I wanted to put together my own uh, workshop, what would you recommend that I do?
3: I guess first you should lay down exactly what uh, kind of audience you want to cater it for. Should mm-hmm. it be uh, like a super beginner one? Should it be for a, a bit more advanced? From then on, uh, have a, like a curriculum. So you, you know your topics. You should decide whether, like for how many people is also something that's... Because uh, I was thinking of like, for, for me at least, I thought like, yeah, more, more, no, not more than 20 people would come. But at the end, I got 60 people signing up. So, uh, you wow. know, yeah, like in the span of 10 days, we got more than 60 people. I had to shut down everything because it was, I, I cannot cater 60 people. I, I don't even have, I have a place to store 60 people for three hours. Then from then on, I guess, I have a curriculum. Uh, as I said, good uh, topic. So good, um, uh, essentially the app you're going to build should be interesting, should be fun. Ours wasn't anything special. It was just a, a simple map with a, a router and a, f- a few components. Nothing, nothing that, that, in, that interesting or that special. But the fact that you know they had something interactive, they could click and zoom and everything, it was uh, pretty cool for them. From then on, I guess, uh, you just need to decide how you will structure your, uh, your examples, how you will present them uh, to them as in uh, how they will know what to build, because it, it, how I did it was, I created very detailed uh, bullet points for each uh, challenge, what they should do, how, you know, how deep they should go, where they should probably look for. I was referencing the, the, the cheat sheet, you know, use this, use that, uh, and that sort of thing.
1: One note specifically for view workshops is that because the view space is growing so quickly, we have so many people who are new to Vue, uh, even in advanced workshops, uh, I tend to see usually like 40 to 60% of people are completely new to view or very new to view. And sometimes it's been as high as, as 80%. On the lowest end, I, I think the lowest I've ever had for an advanced workshop is 20% beginners. Wow. Um... So I, I think no matter what, like it's important to keep in mind that some people will be very new to the concepts that you're going over, like whether it's an intro workshop or advanced.
3: Yeah, like uh, now that you mentioned it, I was talking with Damian Dules and he held a workshop for the building components recently, right, in Poland, I think. Uh, yeah, that's the... right. Yeah, so I was talking with him and he actually told me that same issue. So it was an advanced workshop for people who to, to build you know, advanced components and there were people who didn't know what a slot is. So yeah, he had to go through like, what is the slot, you know, concepts behind it, because, <laughs> you know, advanced components is you know, kind of built around that. So yeah, um, uh, I will definitely keep this in mind because I have been, uh, I, I'm planning to, to make uh, an advanced one or at least intermediate one. So I will <laughs> have to see my uh, audience uh, pick it out, I guess. And I, I will also say that
1: no matter what in your workshop, it will not go perfectly like even when i've given the same workshop dozens of times i always find ways to improve it after every time that i give it yeah and, and so that'll that'll never stop it'll never go 100% perfectly people can still be really happy with it but you know you c- mm-hmm. i think it's a good practice to like go in knowing that you're going to find things to improve and that knowing that that's okay and then actually making the time to improve it right after you give it, because that's when everything will be freshest in your mind.
3: Yeah, different.
1: Divya, are, are there things that, you know, you would also do differently or tips that you would give to people who, you know, are, are planning, their, you know, planning to do a workshop?
2: I feel like um, I'm similar in the sense that I'm quite the perfectionist. And so I always will find flaws in things that I've done. Like I'll do it differently. And I totally see myself doing the same thing with breaks to ask people if they need break. I've I've actually led not workshops I've done I've taught classes like university level classes before and and they were 3 hour long classes and I would ask people if they need breaks and usually no one would answer and then I'd be like okay I'm just going to keep going and yeah it's 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 tough because you have to get I think Chris, your background with education helps because you can read the room. I always took education for granted to be like, oh, it's not that difficult. But then when you do it, it's really hard because you have to really understand like not only how to adapt to the skill level of the room, but also to read the room and understand. You have to do this improv where you change like certain pieces of what you're going to say because you want people to understand things better or understand concepts so they can carry through to the next thing. And so for me, whenever I do a workshop or a class or whatever, I always like, I I mess that up constantly because I'm just like, I don't, I don't have an education training. It's all like I'm winging it half the time. I come in prepared, but I end up being unprepared because someone throws a curveball at you and you're like, I don't know, I don't know what to do. And so, yeah, Yeah. I think it's, it's rough. Well,
0: it's funny because you bring up the break thing too. And I'm the kind of personality where if, if somebody goes, does anyone need to take a break? I'm already out the door, (laughs) right? Anyone need a break? And I'm just like, you know, giving them a thumbs up as I walk out. So it's interesting to me that there are different personalities too and that you you have to cater to each of those. And if you don't really think about it, yeah, you're going to run into issues where it's like, oh yeah, I
1: guess that's a thing. Yeah, Divya was helping me lead a workshop one time where, uh, you know, speaking of curveballs, uh, one of the attendees like raises his hand and then
0: says,
1: uh, that's that's actually a bad practice, you know, what I had just demonstrated. And my response was just is that a question? <laughs> <laughs> and then try to try to guide that person in in formulating what they were saying as a question. Because, you know, what they were what they meant with that's a bad practice, you know, that can throw a lot of people off. What they meant is like, you know. I've learned or I've experienced that, you know, this is something we shouldn't do, you know, for, for these kinds of reasons. So, you know, making them explain their concerns and, you know, dealing with those specifically.
2: I think that requires, that requires uh, some slight in this, like you have to be a little experienced and thick skinned slightly to say that because there've been times where someone has done that and I am, totally thrown off my game because I'm like I don't know how to respond to this and then you feel really like put on the spot because everyone is like looking to you to respond but then you're like this is awkward because I feel like I was just attacked and like it's something that I think requires like experience helps you deal with that or at least if you have some kind of techniques to handle it to be like okay this happened so like how do I address it
1: yeah it does take some time to get used to Taking things personally?
2: Yeah, it's it's the idea of classroom management, which again, I have friends who are teachers and that's something that you learn. <laughs> like you yeah. learn how to deal with a classroom. And if you've never done it before and you're not someone who has gone through an education training or has a background, then that is something you don't know how to do. You're like what I said, going back to my point, you're just winging it half the time and winging it sometimes doesn't cut it because... You know, people mm-hmm. see that you're winning. <laughs> like these people are very smart developers. <laughs> like they know.
1: Although, I mean, just, just because, you know, I have an education background doesn't mean I never improvise, <laughs> you know. I mean, Sometimes sure, I do
2: sure. something
1: that I don't know how to deal with that I've never, you know, encountered before. But yeah, having, um, having experience teaching like middle schoolers and high schoolers certainly does help a lot. And, and one takeaway that is, is easier for me to say than for you to learn... <laughs> Like if someone had given had told me this like at the beginning of my teaching career, and probably people did, and I still had to learn it the hard way, is that no matter what, like it's not about you. You know, when, when people come in and you know, someone is clearly like, you know, emotional and they're frustrated or angry, like it's it's not about you. And especially when people are learning something new, like that can inherently be an emotional experience. Like people, you know, could be used to being able to you know, do something in their job really well. And then they're in this new context where they, you know, they, they don't know as much and they feel yeah. stupid. And when they feel stupid, they can feel like really like defensive and angry.
2: Yeah,
1: And just remembering that it's it's not about you. Like everyone comes in with their own baggage. Helps me at least, you know, not not take things personally when, when people are emotional.
0: Yeah, the, the way that they put it, because I go to podcasting conferences and things like that, just don't read the comments. And it's kind of the same thing, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean- you do want to interact well, with people, but, you know, don't take the bad feedback personally. And if you can't, then don't read the comments.
3: Well,
1: I mean, no, but, you know, people are still going to, you know, interact with you in ways that, right? you know, may be angry. And, and I think it's important to, like, listen to that, mm-hmm. but look for the problem underneath that. And, and first of all, like, before I even dive into a problem, like just validating someone's emotions can help relax them so much, you know, if someone's trying to, you know, do something in the terminal and they're not that experienced with like the terminal and NPM. And they tried installing something with NPM and they're getting like a weird error that doesn't even clearly explain what's going wrong, which happens, right? You know, just validating that like, yeah, this stuff can be frustrating. And sometimes these errors aren't very clear.
2: So what you're saying is in order to run an effective workshop, not only do you have to have an education degree, you also have to have a psych degree.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually like a lot of my... A lot of what I do in workshops um, and in, in some of my courses is actually modeled after some uh, some group therapy practices.
2: Yeah, I never consider that, but it's a, it's a very valid point because ultimately you're dealing with like even though you're dealing with very technical content and you're trying to te- teach technical skills, you're dealing with all those like emotions and vulnerabilities that might come up, and having to deal with them takes skill. So.
1: And and practice, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Chuck, it's like you're right in a sense that it is interest. It is similar to to never read the comments, except in a workshop, you you have to read it. <laughs> you have no choice, it's right? In your face.
0: Yeah, but yes. the idea the idea is the same. like right? It's it's don't let it ruin your day. Is essentially. Oh
2: yeah, 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 yeah. Just like let it slide. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Good thing I didn't have any, like, bad <laughs> feedback. <laughs> I'll I, I be torn yeah. out.
0: Well, anything else we should dive on before we do picks?
1: I guess nope. I'll leave one last thing, especially when you're doing mics where, where you don't control the venue, uh, or you're doing workshops where you don't control the venue. Uh, uh, Dobri talked earlier about how, like, hey, the, the mic wasn't working as well as he wanted it to. And that's such a common experience that I actually, I, I'm pasting in a Google link into the show notes, that's just like how to project your voice from your diaphragm. And this is something where like my, I, I have a, a bit of a theater background as well. And, <laughs> and that really helps me um, like n- knowing how to project your voice from your diaphragm, you know, so it doesn't hurt your voice to, to speak loudly. And it doesn't sound like you're yelling, you know, which can stress people out, can, can help you project your voice onto the, onto the whole room, even when there's not a mic and even in a relatively large room.
0: Awesome. Divya, do you have some picks for us?
2: Yes, I do. So, my first pick is a book that I've been reading called Summerland by Hanu Rayanimi. And it's a science fiction book. I recently picked it up. So, I, I'm not going to give spoilers, but the general gist of it, which is on Goodreads, so there's no spoilers, is that the idea of like the afterlife has been discovered. And so, people take it, it's like during 1938. And so it's like in the time of the British Empire and they, take, they try to take advantage, and the Soviets try to take advantage of death as a way of like, as a form of defeating the other party, um, which I think is really interesting because now there's no concept of like dying as a bad thing. And that's a really cool book. I just started reading it and it's been quite nice. Uh, the other book that I recommend is one that Sarah Dresner recommended called Making and Breaking the Grid. So she did a workshop, which we picked earlier, like a couple of shows ago, called Design for Developers, um, which is now available on Frontend Masters. And it was just a crash course on how to think about design from a developer's perspective. And she mentioned this book called Making and Breaking the Grid, which talks about layouts and just thinking about layouts differently because a lot of websites are built fairly similarly, like the like Tudor bootstrap type look and feel. And so that book kind of challenges your concept of layouts and gives you ideas on how to lay things out. And then, of course, this book goes well with her workshop because in her workshop, she talks about um, different CSS tricks that you can use in order to, to like utilize CSS to create those different layouts. Then the last thing is... a a talk by Sarah Swedan, which was on she gave at Smashing Conf in New York and her talks are wonderful and this one is about specifically accessibility and accessible design and she talks about just different concepts to think about accessibility and like goes into certain like future CSS attributes that you can use for that as well so yeah
1: awesome Chris what are your picks okay first uh I'm dropping some some links into the show notes By the time you're listening to this, it's probably the new year, and you may have some resolutions. And one of those resolutions is maybe to uh, support the projects that you like, that you use all the time, and that you really care about, and that make your life better. And so, I'm I'm dropping some links to uh, donate to Views Open Collective, and also to donate to View Vixens, which helps you know improve the quality of the community, you know provide you know free resources to the community, uh, and also run uh, you know workshops for uh for women and uh subsidized diversity tickets uh for conferences uh which is are all really awesome things so i'm dropping in those show notes and i also want to mention that uh at viewconf us not only is divya giving a a workshop but damien's workshop that uh we talked about that he, he recently gave in poland he'll be giving that workshop as well so this is in tampa florida uh Near the end of March, I think, or near the middle of March, March 25th is when the workshops are happening. I'm going to drop a link into those workshops into the show notes as well. Uh, And finally, I also want to mention this is a little bit of a self plug. In February, uh, starting mid February and uh, into March, probably, I will be doing a workshop tour around Europe, you know, through a, a bunch of different cities. Uh, if you live in a country in Europe, it is statistically likely that at some point I will be in one of the major cities in that uh, in that country, if not multiple. And I don't have a link for that yet, but I will, you know, get together some kind of link. I'm still working out some details with, uh, you know, where I'm going to be, uh, when I'm going to be where, and stuff like that. Uh, so you can, you know, DM me on Twitter at Chris v. Fritz if you want to find out more about that. Uh, if you can't find a a link to to more information. And that's about it. Very cool. I'll jump in here with a couple of picks. So the
0: first pick I have is a fart bomb. And yes, you heard me right. So there's this video on YouTube um, where this guy, I think he said he was a NASA engineer or that he had worked on something that wound up on the Mars rover. Anyway, he had packages that kept getting stolen off his porch. And so uh, he rigged up this machine. Of course, it was total overkill, but it was pretty funny. He had like four cell phones in it. That were all it would all turn on and record if the package got moved, and uh, he put this it had like a cup that would spin and spread glitter everywhere um, when they opened it up and then it had fart spray in it and it had this uh, wheel that would turn and spray the fart spray every thirty seconds um, and I guess it smells horrible, but you know you can 't tell on a video anyway it was freaking hilarious so um, I watched I was just cracking up. I was crying. It was so funny so uh anyway um you keep I keep hearing about some of my neighbors have actually had packages get stolen off their porches, and I was like, Oh, some of these people got what was coming to them, but uh, yeah, and they recorded them and everything so anyway it 's pretty funny i 'll put a link to that uh YouTube video in the show notes and then the other thing that I wanted to quickly shout out about is so divya came on JavaScript jabber with phil who 's another uh, DevRel guy over at uh, Netlify and so they talked about the Jamstack and um, if you're not familiar go check out the episode but we had a, a really good time talking about it and I started playing with it and then I started playing with migrating DevChat TV over to it and at this point I've pretty much decided that's the direction I want to go WordPress is kind of a pain so what I'm looking at and, and I may or may not host it on Netlify I've got a couple things I got to figure out but anyway I would like some help, like getting the episodes tagged. Some of the episodes, the older episodes don't have good show notes on them. And so what I'm doing, I get asked pretty frequently about uh, coaching, especially like on finding a job or, you know, Ruby, which I have very deep knowledge on or things like that. So if you're looking for some coaching on, you know, career or anything like that, you can get it by contributing to uh, devchat.tv. And so I'm going to put a link to the repo in the show notes. Um, but it's on my GitHub. My GitHub is cmaxw, same as my Twitter. You can find the DevChat 110 project on there. And then if you send me a pull request with either five episodes that you've listened to and tagged or three episodes that you've listened to and written show notes for, then I will send you a link so we can set up some coaching and I will do an hour of coaching with you for any of that. Now, if a bunch of you want to get together and you want to pull something together so you're getting like 10 hours or 12 hours together, then I, I may be willing to work something out. So I like fly out to where you are or something. So um, anyway, leave an issue, open an issue on the repo, if that's what you're looking for and, and kind of claim the uh, episodes that you're going to do. And that way, if we have any collisions, I can say, hey, look, they claimed it first or something. And that way I don't, I don't have to worry about, you know, people doubling up on the same episode. But yeah, anyway, I'm going to just throw that out there and uh, definitely go check out the episode as well. Dobri, what are your picks?
3: Yeah. Um, so I have two books. One of them actually uh, just uh, went uh, for print. It's uh, Ed Yeboros Testing View Applications. Um, for those who haven't, you know, uh, done testing with view, uh, I would say that's a very good book. I, I bought it at least, I think, the second day after he mentioned it uh, on Twitter, which was a while ago. It was still in development. Um, the other one the other one, which is actually also very good, is from uh, Alex Morales. It's testing Vue.js components with Jest. Both of them are really good. As for the others, because I use a Windows uh, machine, I tend to have to find things that are not, you know, typical uh, for, for, as tools because most of the developers use, you uh, know, Macs. So uh, I pretty much uh, found out a clipboard manager called Ditto. D I T T O. Uh, it's it's free, it's pretty good, uh, it's Windows only, but I've been using it for the past year and a half and I love it. Second thing, uh, it's a screenshot service that pretty much allows me to screenshot and uh, do GIFs of my screen, uh, free. Uh, it's called gazo G-Y-A-Z-O. Uh, again, free, you can use it uh, as much as you want. It's pretty cool, you just select a part of your screen and you decide if you want to take a screenshot or a GIF, GIF. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, And yeah, just uh, applause it for you. Final picks. Yeah, yeah, okay. uh, (laughs) I know, I know. I call it GIF as well. So while I was doing the the workshop slides, um, I actually managed to make a pretty slick template for the slides on slides.com. So a few days ago, I actually released uh, like a very simple, clonable, extendable version of it. On uh, on slides.com, I'll post a link. Uh, it also got featured in the, um, the view newsletter uh, yesterday, so people can uh, use it freely. If uh, some of them actually want to reach out to me and show me what they built, that that would be super awesome. It's very clean. It's uh, it's very it, it's full of actually with um, uh, tips in the in the side notes, so people can actually see why I decided on different things, uh, font sizes, and whatnot. Yeah, last thing uh, I want to say to everyone who's using Vue in in Bulgaria, uh, join Vue Bulgaria, uh, at least the Facebook group, uh, also Twitter, because (laughs) I'm seeing Bulgarian people don't really use Twitter. Uh, I need to (laughs) change that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, just join Vue Bulgaria on Facebook. Uh, We're going to organize more stuff. Um, We're going to do more events, more meetups. Um, We're actually planning on some pretty cool stuff now the next meetup will have uh, a lot of people talking about a lot of cool stuff. Also, I'm planning to invite some foreign people, some foreign experts. You know, I'm looking at some people who are going to do tours around Europe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that's it, I guess. Awesome. And if people want to find you online,
3: where do they go? Yeah, so uh, they can find me on Twitter. I am D underscore M underscore Christoph. I also uh, write on Medium. It's uh, Dobromir underscore Christoph. Pretty much, if they Google Dobromir Christoph, it's, it's me. So, yeah. Nice. All right.
0: Well, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, we'll wrap this one up and we will be back next
1: week. Enjoy the few, everybody.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: to get
0: that. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN.